You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. So here we are, week number four. Week number four out of five in our series entitled this, Because I Said So. In this series, we're examining the power and the authority of the Word of God. I like to recap where we've been. I think it's helpful and to show kind of where we're going. So in week number one, a God-given authority, inerrancy. Week number two, a time-tested authority, reliability. Last week was a life-changing authority, and we looked at the sufficiency of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture. And here's where we're going today. We're doing this, um, a transcultural authority, which we're going to give the term superiority. God's word is uh, transcending culture. It's authority that carries um, over time. And so this series is so important, and this message is so important because we are understanding throughout it uh, the role of biblical authority. And what we are learning and by faith receiving is this, that we are people designed for authority supremely under God. Now, when we think about authority, we have to understand this. The sinful flesh wants to reject all authority because the sinful flesh believes if I can get rid of all authority in my life, that then is freedom in my life. The flesh says, forget all authority because then that's when I'm totally free and able to live for self. But listen, our regenerated mind under the gospel of Jesus Christ understands that true freedom is in submission to Christ. And when we submit to Christ, it's there that we truly find life. And as we are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and we pursue him, that's when we find true joy. That's when we find true delight. That's when life is truly lived as we come under the authority of God in the joy of God and the love of God. So love when so much of what we're learning then within this series is counter-cultural. And that's the point. Uh, the flesh swims with the current. The flesh goes with the cultural current of our day. But the Spirit of God within us uh, swims upstream. And we are being called to do the same. I thought of this this week. This was a picture that was in my home growing up uh, for many years. Uh, my parents put it there when I was a kid. And I, I, I guess I paid enough attention to remember that we had it. All right? And there it was in our kitchen, day after day, day after day. And we were walking by, and I, was, I wasn't saved, but I had enough insight into what it was saying. And this was a really popular thing for a few years. This was a long time ago. I mean, I remember, this is like, this is probably 30 years ago now or something like that. And this is really popular, but you have the, 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 the tide and current of the world, and then you have the little Christian fish, which is going against all the darkness and the scary parts of the world too. And the whole idea was, I remember, as a, as a young man, a very young man, walking by this all the time, at the bottom it has Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Loved ones, we are called to be this guy right here. Um, we are called to swim upstream. It's going to be hard at times. It's going to be very hard at times. That's, 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 the, that's the Christian life. Uh, this, is, this is who we are to be. And, and so, so the narrow road is just that. It's, it's narrow. Um, it's hard. But it's so easy to go this way with the current and the tide. But as, as men and women of God in the gospel, we are so clearly called by Christ and other, the other authors in the New Testament to swim against the tide. I'm thankful my parents let me see this. And then all these years later to understand it more and more, just who we are. Again, who we're called to be and, and to what we're called to do. Again, the way is narrow, Jesus said. 
and the way is hard that leads to life. And within this narrow road, we're learning this, that biblical authority supersedes cultural authority, not the other way around. Biblical authority is above and starts to govern cultural authority. I want you to take a look at this graphic on the screen here, and this is the incorrect view um, of what happens within our day within the church. What's happening right now, if you take the biblical authority found in God's word, what's happening in so many places, that passes through the lens or the filter of cultural authority. So we take God's truth and authority, but we got to check it with the culture, and then the culture will determine what actually stands and what actually falls, and then you have present truth. Okay? And that's what's happening around our day right now too. We're requiring the Bible to go through the culture to get to truth. Now that may be, um, I want to make sure we understand this. Culture at times does influence us in certain ways. Right now I'm dressed in a certain way that 100 years ago another pastor standing up wouldn't be dressed. But the Bible allows for the freedoms. It doesn't mandate a certain uh, dress code other than appropriate expression of masculine, feminine modesty. Right? Um, We had musical styles today. And, and our culture has influenced the style of our, of, of our music. But the Bible doesn't mandate a specific style of worship. It mandates the content of the worship be honoring to God and the fear of the Lord. Uh, we used uh, technology today. The cultures influence these aspects. But the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not play a video of William Tyndale, right? It doesn't say that. But these are appropriate cultural expressions. Where this breaks down is when the culture starts to redefine sin, Okay? That's when the absolute of Scripture become preeminent and way more important. So here's the correct view I want to show you now. What the correct view is, we take the culture and it goes through the authority of God's Word, and this is what leads us then to truth that does not change. These are the absolute truths within Scripture. Culture can take their own version of sin and then somehow get rid of God's Word, and then we find out what's happening. No, no, no. We take culture, it goes through the authority of God's Word, which is immutable, unchanging, and that is when we find out the truth also, also which is unchanging. This is very important as we understand the role of God's Word within our lives. Because in our day, listen, in our day, the widespread teaching and assumption of our society is that the present is wiser than the past. This is also called, um, some scholars call this historical snobbery. So as time goes on, we think we hold all the knowledge we know best, and we look upon the past and we deem it as unwise or foolish. Now what this teaching does, it does this. It assumes that the world is truly wise, And that the world is that which holds wisdom. Packer said this, J.I. Packer said this, Therefore, in this situation, the church must play intellectual catch-up in each generation in order to survive. Right? So so if the the ever-evolving world is producing wisdom, then the church has to come along and say, well, God's word says this, but the world's saying this. We've got to change God's word so we cannot be left behind by the thoughts and insights uh, of the world. So the implications of this worldview then is the Bible, listen carefully, the Bible is subject to evolving societal insights. So it's constantly changing. That's the view of our world as it approaches Scripture. So therefore, as society changes, the Bible must also change. But this is where, listen, listen, this is where culture becomes the ultimate authority over God's authority. And that's what just cannot be. Because that's when the church implodes. That's when the gospel is lost. That's when everything starts to fall apart. Now, loved ones, listen, and and students are here right now. Students, 
Um, listen, listen, okay? If you hold to the authority of Scripture, um, you will be made to feel at times incredibly stupid. The way that the world is going, if we say we believe in the literal interpretation of God's word and the authority of what God has said in Scripture, um, people will scoff, people will ridicule, and there will be a disbelief of our belief in what God has so clearly said within his word. But remember, remember, again, loved ones and students and all of us, remember, remember, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, right? There must be an element, an exercising of intellect with faith, faith in what God has said, and we have history on our side to prove this. The irony of our day is you can believe about just anything in this world other than Jesus Christ and his word. I mean, you can believe that the world came together in some explosion and some big bang and everything happened and it all just kind of by chance all came together and my heart beats right now and I think I have joy and motion. There's an infinite amount of stars in the sky and everything in between all that just by chance. You can believe that and be like, yeah, that's great. Man, we totally understand, man. You're a smart person. But you start calling designer. You start claiming that there's a God greater than ourselves that has given us to be made in the image of God and you're deemed to be crazy. Just... But that, that to me only proves that we're on the right track because you look at it for what it is with an ounce of faith and with the reality of God's word proven over and over and over again. It encourages you so much to say, of course, they suppress the truth. They want to follow evil. And it makes me think how awesome my Savior is and how good it is to be following him. So the point of today is this, loved ones. We hold to a transcultural authority, meaning that the word of God is superior to the wisdom of men. And there is no issue more prevalent in our culture today challenging this truth than the issue of homosexuality. So being the issue that it is and understanding how prevalent in our time this is too, the, the elders have decided, and it's wise right now, to take the remainder of this message and just find out what does the Bible teach about this issue of homosexuality? If the Bible is our authority, then what does it say on this issue? And it's something we need to listen to and we need to care about a lot. To care about with truth and to care about with grace. So this is what we do for the remainder of our message. We're going through God's word to find out what it says about homosexuality, same-sex attraction, whatever you decide that you want to call it. Now as we begin, let me say this too. Um, my desire through this message is not to be combative at all. Rather, it's to be compassionate. My desire is not to be insensitive. Rather, it's to be tender and gracious. And we're praying that is the heart that will be seen throughout this whole message. I also encourage you to, to listen to its message in its entirety. Really helpful to hear the whole message as it is given. And here's what I know as I begin this message right now on this particular issue. Here's what I know. The greatest way that I or anyone else truly loves you, truly loves you, is with truth. The greatest way we are loved is by the truth of God's word when it's presented humbly and lovingly, but with sincerity and accuracy. So it's teaching us truth, and that's the whole point of today. This is why Jesus again prayed, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And this is why Jesus also said, the truth is what will set you free. We need the truth in our day more than ever, because without the truth, we have nothing. And so this is why we need to go to the truth of the Lord and his word, and especially on issues and topics such as we will deal with today. Let me pray for all of us uh, right now. Father in heaven, I just beg you and ask you for your presence to be with us in such greatness and power and glory. I ask, O oh Lord, that there be such a sense of faith, such a sense of humility and love and grace. 
I ask you, O God, as many have been praying this week and as many are praying now, O Lord, that you will just reveal yourself in wonderful, glorious ways. I can only think, Lord, even now, as this subject is introduced, there are people here even now that say, I am here by appointment from God himself. And they know even now that they are going to speak. He will speak to them. I pray, O Lord, you will pour out grace. And I pray, Lord, your goodness will be seen and your love will be felt in massive ways and wonderful ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. You agree? Please say amen. amen. We're going to start here today as we tackle this issue with our, our transcultural authority and the Word of God. Number one is this. We're going to call this um, God's design. Um, God created uh, male and female. Male and female, He created them. Uh, God's design. Male and female, He created them. Please open your Bibles to, um, to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start right at the beginning today. Please open your Bibles to... Um, Genesis chapter 1. You're going to need your Bibles today for sure, and you make sure that what I'm saying to you is in God's Word. That's your responsibility. My responsibility is to accurately teach you the truth. Your responsibility is to make sure that it's accurate in what you're being taught. Genesis chapter 1. Very first book, very first chapter, of course, in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, says this. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man, Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Again, our desire today is not to see what the world says on this issue of homosexuality. Our desire today is to know what God says on this issue. And I find it so powerful in the very first chapter in Scripture... What we see is the undeniable design of God over all of creation. And I want you to notice this. Included within the creation of man. Included within the creation of man is the creation of male and female. He created them. I also want you to notice this. That the differentiation of the human race. Okay? So man's created in male and female, and the differentiation of the human race into two different sexes. In the first fact mentioned in connection that we are made in the image of God. The first fact mentioned that we are made in the image of God is the distinction and the differentiation that male and female, he created them. There's nothing more near to God as he, the pinnacle of his creation, which is humanity. There's nothing more dear to God that we are made in his image. The first truth that is said in God's word is that man is seen in male and female, two complementary sexes under the design of God for the glory of God. The nearest truth to this in the, in the pinnacle of creation in mankind is seen in this two complementary sexes, all by his perfect design and his glory. Look now at Genesis 2, uh, verse 18. And here's this truth flushed out in more detail. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit or a helper suitable uh, for him. What God is doing now, he is wonderfully introducing his design for marriage. And what the word of God does, it takes the example of Adam and Eve and then applies it to all marriages for all time. 
And notice in chapter 2, Genesis 2, verse 24 now. Look at verse 24. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become, tell me, a one flesh. Yes, yes, one flesh. So what's happening here? This is so powerfully beautiful in this verse. Is the truth about man and woman becoming one flesh. Now hear me. The sexual union under the design of God and the omniscience of God himself is two different sexual halves coming together to form a sexual completion or sexual whole phrased here as one flesh. What this becomes is God's designed pattern for sexual union and marriage again over all creation, over all time. And just in case there's any question, Jesus cites both Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24 in Matthew chapter 19. Paul will also expressly echo Genesis 1 and 2 on his primary text on homosexuality. I want you to get this too. Notice in verse 24 of Genesis 2. Notice in verse 24. Notice the word therefore. The word therefore in verse 24 connects the making of Eve from Adam's body with the one flesh sexual union between a man and woman in marriage. Okay? So notice this. Look at verse 22 now. Verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Again, again, notice the beautiful God-designed connection, connection. What was began from Adam's body to form woman, the one flesh then is the reconnection or the reunion sexually of what God created in the beginning for them to come together. So hear me again, the one flesh union, I'll say it again is actually a reunion of two parts coming together. Woman was made from man, and under God's design, they come back together in marriage, under God's design, as one flesh. This is the glory and the majesty of God in His design over creation. Especially, as the text has pointed out, in the image of God, uh, female, male and female, He created them. So think about it this way then. It's impossible for a sexual reunion to occur between a man and a man. It's impossible under God's design for a sexual reunion made in God's image. This isn't about sexual feeling right now. This is about design under the glory of God. It's impossible for a sexual reunion to take place under God's design between a woman and a woman. This is proven as a man and a woman are designed literally by God to fit together. And this is why the creation of sex is a creation by God that is supposed to result in his glory, designed by his beauty. It's an awesome, awesome, incredible thing. Furthermore, this insight blessed me big time. Consider that the Bible begins with a marriage, Adam and Eve, and the Bible ends with marriage. It begins with marriage again and the first wedding of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It ends with the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ with his bride, which is the church. 
So the picture of marriage, we know this from Ephesians chapter 5, the ultimate picture and design within marriage between man and woman is ultimately pointing to the eternal fulfilled moment where Jesus Christ comes together as the groom, comes together with his bride, which is the church. So hear me here too, it's so great. God's word and the biblical theology that is found within. What this means is the narrative of creation The narrative of the creation story, specifically of Adam and Eve in the image of God, uh, male and female, he created them, and their sexual union, the narrative of the creation story points to the meta-narrative of eternity. For all of eternity will include the glory of God seen in God's design for marriage as ultimately fulfilled by the Lamb and his bride. Remember this too, all the emphasis on the sexual feelings of our day, all the desire to be sexually fulfilled in our day. Eternity in heaven, there is no sex in heaven. There is no marriage in heaven. There is no need for that in eternity because every possible fulfillment and the ultimate fulfillment of the union of man and woman is fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself and the God of all glory. All of that is pointing to that that place. Jesus said there's no marriages in heaven. Just think about that. But all the emphasis in our world and the sin to corrupt the ideas and the design of God. But where we are now, I mean, are you married right now? Your marriage is a picture of the eternal reality and the glory of the marriage supper of the Lamb between Jesus Christ and his church. That's awesome. To see it that way, to understand the design of God created male and female. He created them. All of eternity we will, we will see this. That is, that is God's design. And then secondly, we, we see this. Now we see um, God's decree. God's, God's decree is uh, homosexuality uh, is sin. God's decree is that homosexuality is sin. Let me say it again, that my desire before God and within us is is truth today, and my desire before God and before us is grace today. My desire is love today, and it's to be real love. And this is why Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And again, our world defines freedom as rejecting any and all authority and then indulging in self-obsessed flesh. That's what's happening in our world right now. But Jesus defines freedom as knowing and living the truth of his word. Jesus defines freedom that we are set free from sin to serve him. And then this allows us then to live for him. Again, again, on this topic, there's so much obsession. I need to be sexually fulfilled. I need to be fulfilled. Sexual fulfillment is my identity. It actually becomes my persona. This becomes all I desire to be. And this just isn't in the gay lesbian lifestyle. This is within so many of us as well. If I'm not sexually fulfilled, then I'm not fulfilled at all. Now remember this. Jesus was the most fulfilled person in the history of the world, and Jesus never, ever had sex. The most fulfilled person ever was Jesus Christ. And he never had sex. Which tells us That our fulfillment is greater than our sexual desires. It tells us that our identity, the world says your identity is in how you feel sexually. The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says your identity is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and being called a child of the king. And we spend so much time though and saying if I'm not fulfilled in the way I desire to be fulfilled in self and indulgence of the flesh, then I'm not happy. My life's not worth living. That is 
That is completely opposite to what God's word teaches. Jesus Christ is the one who satisfies. Whether I'm married or single, he's my identity, he's my satisfaction, he's my glory. But now we start to learn the specifics of what God's word says specifically about this issue. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. And we're going to look at several passages right now. Genesis chapter 19, our transcultural authority. Our context here is the judgment upon Sodom and the seriousness of what's occurring here. Genesis 19, verse 1, says this. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom when When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, these two angels, and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, where we get the term Sodomites from, both young and old and all the people to the last man surrounded the house. What did they want? Verse 5, and they called to Lot, where are the men who came out to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. That is an Old Testament term to know them sexually. A lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters. If there's any doubt in what uh, they wanted to do with these two angels, or whoever thought they were, it's confirmed within this, because now a lot is offering his daughters in replacement of them, which is, again, taking any shot of a doubt. They wanted sexual uh, interaction, intercourse with these two angels. Uh, let, them, uh, let me bring them out to you, only do to them as you please, only do nothing to these men, for they have come under my shelter uh, and my roof. Uh, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. Verse 10. But the men, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Verse 11, and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, uh, groping at the door. I want to point out as we deal specifically with uh, homosexual sin, as we're seeing here in God's Word, I want to point out that any sexual intercourse outside marriage between one man and one woman is sin. Adultery is sin. Fornication is sin. Polygamy is sin. Prostitution is sin. Bestiality is sin. Incest is sin. So we're not just trying to take one issue and focusing on it and neglecting all the rest. And I want you to know too, as the history of our church, as elders and as leaders, we have taken incredibly serious all forms of these sins when they have come across our desk or come across our situation and seen to deal with them biblically, all of them. What's happening here in Genesis 19 is a very serious story involving some serious sin. What's happening here from these men who are approaching this house is they are attempting a gang rape, a homosexual gang rape. Now this is a world away from a consensual uh, loving relationship, as many people argue for in our day, and we can totally see that and we agree. But the truth of this is how seriously God views this sin as it eventually led to the destruction of Sodom. 
say, well, how do we know that for sure? Because there were other sins at play, and there were. But Jude 7 provides commentary on the story. Here's what Jude 7 says regarding this text. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire... And this is God's word commentating on God's word. Sexual immorality pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Not my words, God's word. And just, just, just let that sink in for a second. We, we know what's happening here in Genesis 19. And what we're learning here is just how seriously God views sexual sin in particular. Turn now to um, Leviticus chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus. Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 verse 22. Leviticus 18 verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. I turn to Leviticus 20, verse 13. Leviticus 20, just a page over, probably verse 13. Twenty thirteen. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, notice, um, both of them, so this is not a forced action now, God's commenting on. Uh, both of them have committed um, an abomination. The reading of these verses is clear. And this act being stated as abomination states that the act itself is seen this way by God. Now, objections to these Levitical verses will say, well, why do we follow uh, these laws but not the other laws like obscure dietary laws? And I think that's a a very fair question. I believe the most important answer is to understand what's been verified and also uh, affirmed within the New Testament also as sin. Again, let me point out as we talk about that thing with the New Testament, that the New Testament confirms that adultery is sin and confirms that incest is sin and confirms that polygamy is sin and so on and and so forth. But an, an awareness of how the Lord views sexual sin under both covenants, old and new, points to how seriously, again, a God takes it. Because remember, remember, the sexual ethic is ultimately rooted in the created order. That's what's so important. But with that truth, uh, let's go to uh, the New Testament. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. What does the Bible teach on this issue? What does the authority of God's Word teach on this important topic in our day? Romans 1 verse, verse 24 Romans 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans 1, verse 24. Thank you for turning in your Bibles. Verse 24, and this is a very important and serious text on this issue. Paul says, therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men 
and receiving in themselves the due penalty uh, for their error. If you're going to misread these verses, you're going to have to try very hard to do it. The truth, I believe, is inescapably clear. Romans 1 is an extremely uh, powerful chapter as to the sinfulness in general um, of our world. I want you to look at verses 18 to 20 in Romans 1. Just turn back a page, maybe, or maybe it's in front of you. Uh, Romans 1, verse 18, because notice what Paul is doing here. He's saying here, for the wrath of God, there's a, there's a great progression of sin that occurs uh, through Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodly and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what happens. It happens over for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And then God's word says itself, so they are without excuse. So please notice this, the wrath of God comes as a result of the hardness of man's heart suppressing the truth that deep down they know is true and know it's there. And then what happens here then, what follows is the reality of a sin-filled and hardened heart that is so often seen in in the heart of mankind. Notice in these verses, from verses 23 to 26, notice the three exchanges that take place in the darkened heart of man. Notice in verse 3, there's, there's three exchanges, and you're smart to underlay these in your Bible to see where they are. The first exchange is they exchange God's glory for the images of, of creatures. So they suppress the truth, rejecting God, And they exchange the glory of God for the image of creatures. So what we're learning here, man is instinctively religious in the sense that man must always have some object to worship. If it's not God, they exchange God's glory. I don't want to worship you because you're over me and I'm not God. I exchange you and now I worship something. See, everyone has a church, loved ones. Everyone has a church. In some form or, or some way, because man's heart is to worship. If it's self, it's self. If it's, it's specific items of idolatry, that's what it is. But what happens is man in the sinfulness of heart exchanges God's glory and then takes his uh, images of creatures um, as a replace. So sin is so damaging because it replaces God's glory with an object of all things. So that's the first exchange. The second exchange in verse 25 It says they exchange the truth about God for a lie and now they worship created things. Notice there, notice the role of truth in verse 25, okay? So they they don't want the truth of God's word. That's why truth is so important. They don't want the truth of God's word and so sin says I'm done with truth and what sin does then, it, it, it loves the lie and to follow a lie is ultimately to follow some form of, 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 of idolatry. So forget God, forget His glory, forget His truth. I'm exchanging that to worship now created things, anything but worshiping God. And then notice finally in verse 26, the third exchange, it says, or 25, the, no, verse 26, it says, they exchange a natural relations for those that are contrary to, to nature. So it's very important to see here as we go through God's word. I want you to see this. The Bible is showing us the progression of sin 
from the idolatrous human heart. And here's the progression. I reject the glory of God. I reject the truth of God. And now I reject the design or the God-given morality of God. And it's a rebellion, notice, it's a rebellion all through Romans 1 is the design and created order. You see, this is a transcultural argument. This isn't rooted in temporary feeling. This is rooted in how God created the world. And so there's an ultimate rebellion of a vertical relationship with God himself for the pursuit of the horizontal, which indulges my flesh. This is man spitting in the face of God. It's the, it's the progression of sin. And then when that happens, when you reject God's glory, when you reject God's truth, when you reject God's morality, then what are you left with? You're left with verse 28. Verse 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I want you to see this too, loved ones. The greatest judgment God can give mankind is what? The greatest judgment God can give us is to let us have what we want. The greatest judgment God can give is saying, you want that? Okay, you do what you think's best and you go pursue your own passions of your flesh. And he gave three times, he gave them up, he gave them up, he gave them up. And progressively and with great horror, it gets worse and worse and worse. Notice in verse uh, 26, it says, um, notice also dishonorable passions. So in light of our topic today, notice, sexual sin is not just the action. Sexual sin is also the passionate lust of that sin as well. That's why Jesus says, you've heard adultery is a sin. I say to you, look at a woman with lustfulness in your heart and you've committed adultery. Same here as well. Notice, women exchange natural relations for those, this is key, that are contrary to nature, And then it says, and the men did likewise, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Clearly what this means here is homosexual practice is not done by the design of God, is not God's intention, is not natural by God's design. And people, this is where people say, but but, but, but God made me this way. I want to put a quote up. Uh, on the screen here from Sam Albury, who is a pastor in England who struggles with same-sex attraction himself. And he wrote a book, and this is what he said on this, and this is, this is so important. He says, this shows us why it's not true with those who say same-sex attraction to say, but God may be this way. Uh, Paul's point in Romans 1 is that our nature, as we experience it, is not natural as God intended it. This is very key. All of us have desires that are warped as a result of our fallen nature. All of us do. All of us have wicked thoughts and things that go through our mind often on a daily basis. That is not, it's not God made me to do this. Desires for things God has forbidden are a reflection of how sin has distorted me, not how God has made me. Do you know... Um, The logic of God has made me this way. There's literally a committee that sat before some kind of court system in Canada a few years ago where they were beginning to say the logic that some people's sexual orientation is just the way they are in homosexuality. They had to start giving in to the reality Then that also must be true for the one who struggles with an orientation of being a pedophile. Because if you apply the one to the one, it has to go to, it's just the way I'm made. I just desire to be with children in this way. It's the same thing. 
not what God intended. This is why God views this so seriously. But again, listen, listen. All of us, all of us have signs of brokenness in our lives. Every single one of us have signs of brokenness all throughout our lives. That's why we need Jesus Christ, which is why we need the gospel. And the, and the example of homosexual practice within your Romans 1 is one example among many that would be represented within our lives. I think what's unavoidable for Romans 1 is also see this, though, that sexual sin is a, is a sign of God's judgment. You see within this chapter three times, um, it says, therefore, for this reason, or since, then God gave them up. The reality of the world around us and the momentum of sexual sin that is all pervasive, Romans 1 here proves and predicted God's judgment coming out across this world. I mean, just look, just look at verse 32. Um, this, this is just so... Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do them... They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. They not only do them, but they give approval to them. We must be accurate here. Verse 32 follows a long list of sins mentioned in verses 29 to 31. In that sense, we cannot overemphasize the sin of homosexuality. However, within Romans 1, by God's inspiration, that sin is lifted up among the others, which also cannot go unnoticed either. In the end here, loved ones, in the end, what we're seeing here when it comes to any form of sexual sin, it's really a gospel issue rooted in the created order of God's design from the beginning. And we're seeing here it's a result of sin and brokenness and the devastation that is a result. Now let me say right now what should be so obvious, but I want you to hear my heart with this right now. This is, this is a difficult message to deliver in the light of our day and the light of our culture. And to a person right now who feels particularly offended or hurt or angry, please, please hear me on this. And this is very, very important to me to be able to say. In order, in order to affirm the practice of homosexuality, I want you to think about this theologically, and this is where it's so key. If we are to affirm the practice of homosexuality, that would require then from me and from this church an outright denial and departure from the biblical doctrines of the following. We would have to deny and depart from the biblical doctrines of creation, of sin, of regeneration, of sanctification, of the inspiration of God's word. If we're to affirm that this form of sexual sin is okay, then we are denying what God's word says on the doctrine of creation and the design of him, male and female. We are denying what God's word says, this sin that indeed offends God himself. We are denying that a regenerated heart isn't completely changed and a new creation before Jesus Christ. And we are denying that sanctification in terms of growing more like Jesus Christ is seen in someone who's putting sexual sin behind. And we're denying, obviously, that God's word is inspired and all scriptures breathed out by God because we're saying what God said, well, he's wrong. This is a gospel issue. This isn't I feel like this is right issue. To do away with this, you do away with the gospel in its entirety. Furthermore, to affirm same-sex behavior as being okay, you are then asking God, Packer said this way, you are then asking God to bless something he says is sin 
indeed blasphemous. You are asking God something he says is irreverent and against his very character and nature. You are asking him to bless this. That is something we cannot do nor ever do in the sight of God for the glory of God and the purpose of being held account by God. Then, then on top of this, we're going to see in a moment, to do away with this truth in Scripture, you are literally sending people to their destruction, making them believe it's okay when God says people who practice such things among other forms of sexual sin with an unrepentant heart and with a persistency, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not love. That's not love. That's not love. Go on to your destruction just so we're all good and feel better. That's not love. And as Christians, one of the highest things that we're called to right now in the fear of God is to stand before a world. And our temptation right now, our temptation is to apologize to people for the very message that will save them from hell. But we can't do that. That's not love. And this is why at the end of the day, loved ones, we're not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation. That's what's so, so important within all of this. You know, I want you to hear me too. I don't expect to grow in popularity with a message like this. And the elders don't either. But we do believe that telling you the truth with grace, we are loving you with literally eternal proportions. Because again, if we do not say this truth, we are placing the eternal welfare of many at stake. This is why we clearly state God's design as seen in Scripture. This is why we clearly state God's decree. But this is also why we clearly state this, God's desire. And God's desire that none should perish. God's desire that the broken would be healed. Turn to our final passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The next book over, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. First Corinthians six nine. Paul says, Are you there? Do you not know that first Corinthians six nine? Acts Romans, first Corinthians. Do you six nine? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers, look how serious sexual sin is to God, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So verses 9 to 10 don't pull any punches. Here's the Bible saying, those who continue in and revel in their sin, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice, notice Paul here anticipating any objection or rationalization. He says, wait, wait, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Think, think, think clearly now. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why today, this is love today to tell you, um, if you're here right now and your life is, 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 is filled with, an, with a persistent, willful, um, unrepenting sin, uh, that will not work out well. Uh, that will not end well at all. Notice, Paul is not saying here that those who practice such sins lose their salvation. He's not saying that. 
What Paul is saying is those who persistently and willfully practice without remorse or repentance, what he's saying is they are not saved. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, are you here right now and you're persistently, willfully fornicating before marriage with no remorse or repentance? The Bi- I don't say. The Bible says today, that's a very strong indication, you don't know Christ. The adulterer who's running around with no repentance or remorse, willfully doing this, with no real sense of, I'm, I'm, I'm grieving God, That's a very strong indication you don't have salvation. God's word, not my words. People who consistently persist in these habits of sexual sin and other sin with no sense of change or grieving God Almighty himself, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So don't you see if we fail to tell this truth of this issue today on homosexuality that we're sending people to their destruction? If we ended there, it seemed like there was no hope. But here's the hope. It's verse 11. Look what Paul says. This is an amazing reflection on the Corinthian church himself. He lists all these sins. He says, and such were some of you. Hey, loved ones, look right here. And such were some of us. Amen. I mean, this is us right here. This isn't, this isn't separating one group of people from another. This isn't separating one sin from another. This is understanding, but such were some of you. I mean, this is me. Before the gospel invaded my life and set me free from the corruption of my own heart, how sin-filled and darkened my mind was, and the death of my own soul and the hatred of, of God himself and his mercy and grace, notice, but such were some of you. There's a few times in Scripture the word but shows up, and it is glorious. Notice, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, and by the Spirit of God. You see, this all comes down to this, loved ones. In the end, in the end, this whole message today is entirely an issue of the gospel. Sin has ruined the world. Sin has ruined our lives. Sin has made us so messed up. Sin has broken us. Sin is a result of how we are broken. But here's the truth. We don't have to stay messed up. We don't have to stay busted up. We can be healed. But listen, there's only one who can heal us, and his name is Jesus Christ. But as long as we run in our sin, and as long as we love our sin, we reject Jesus Christ, we suppress the truth, and we reject his gift of life and of grace. But when we see our sin, when we see the devastation that it causes, especially against God himself, that's when everything can change everything again, again. But such were some of you, but then you were washed and sanctified and justified in the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God that was true for the people he's writing to in the Corinthians church. It's true for us right now. It's Jesus who stands here today in the promises of his life and the promises of the truth and the promises of his grace. He stands here today and he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come to me all who are broken in sin. Come to me all who are so tired and exhausted of the life they're trying to live apart from their creator. Come to me all who are trying to suppress truth and trying to do their 
own thing. And but day after day and month after month, they know they don't have it. And they know they're not satisfied. Jesus says to you today, he says to you men, he says to you woman, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, and I will give you rest. How? By forgiving your sins and setting you free. The truth then that sets you free. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ came, lived, died. To die for our sins that we might be set free. And there's no chance there are not some people here today that you are here today in your brokenness to hear the message of love and grace and forgiveness and to know at this moment that Jesus Christ himself calls you in love to save you and to set you free because that's what the gospel does. He loves you, but you must believe in him that you can't do it anymore and this life will be over so soon and you see him in his grace, you see him in his love, you see him in his glory and you want your life to be in his and he invites you today. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. And he promises rest from what? Rest from guilt and shame and wickedness and torment and the darkness of the demons themselves and the lure of Satan. He promises you rest with the assurance of everlasting life that you will never die and you will know him forever. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. The love of God invites you right now. Remember this, loved ones, remember this. It's the truth that sets you free. And the truth has been given today. And I want you to see a video right now of an individual who's been set free with truth. Take a look at the screens right now. Hey church, um, I'm here with uh, a good friend of mine. His name is Neil Verberg and he's been part of our church for a number of years now. He has a story to share of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed his life. How did, you, uh, how did you get to our church? Uh, probably just to preface that, uh, as you know, I was just so blessed to be raised in a Christian home with Christian parents, and um, um, my parents just provided for a, a great foundation of a relationship with God. And um, my mom and my sisters were encouraging to, uh, to listen to Christian radio, and during commuting would flip some stations and came across um, James's message, and uh, I think you were doing some intros at that point. What was neat is um, before long, work brought me to live um, in Oakville or the West End and um, I checked out uh, Harvest and really since that first visit, uh, it just felt like home. Mm. Now, um, your story is quite something because you started attending our church, but there were some things happening within your life and some questions you wanted to answer. And in fact, you set up a time to come meet with me, right? Why don't you just help the people understand how that went, what that looked like, what you were trying to figure out? Yeah, good stuff. So um, going back to... Um, probably around the time that um, other friends were developing feelings for girls was really the time that uh, I was developing uh, feelings as well and uh, largely same-sex attraction. It, um, it, nothing I chose. I didn't know anyone who was gay. I didn't have any, um, no one was influencing me. I just knew that my feelings were different and um, struggled that for with a number of years and um, um, came to Toronto for school, lived in Toronto for a number of years, and it was just so important for me to find a church um, that was accepting. You were in Toronto and you were attending an accepting church, and by that you mean a church that was <coughs> inclusive 
including what you just described. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So it um, it was very much a, a gay church, so where the majority of people attended there um, were in relationship. Um, uh, weddings were occurring there, and um, very political uh, mm-hmm. in their approach. Um, and, and they were teaching you specifically, here's why the Bible doesn't say what you thought it said, and here's how we promote same-sex marriage within this environment, correct? Clearly that was a message that I wanted to hear, yeah. and it was a message that I believed. Because unlike uh, perhaps most Christians who may think that, um, that it may be a choice, uh, I believed in my heart that this is, this is the way that I was born. So, um, so I was at that time felt fortunate to find a church that was accepting. But um, of course, with moving and so forth, um, needed to find a new church home and um, inbound harvest. Probably a little bit unlike my character, but I wanted to talk to the person who was in charge and, and get some answers. So, uh, so I'd made an appointment to meet with you, and um, uh, you know, God bless you. I don't think you even knew why we were meeting, and you're just very gracious. I remember that meeting a little bit. I think we had, I think, a couple of meetings, but the first one could sense there was, um, you know, something that you wanted to share. I knew is probably, you know, something personal in nature. I think what was important is, unlike. Um, experiences at perhaps some other churches who um, probably just don't know what to do with this information and maybe quick to mention that this is clearly uh, a sin. The delivery of that message um, unfortunately turns away so many people that are hurting and you were you were honest and you were true and um, you were compassionate and just so thankful for God and, and the grace that he allowed you to, to just be understanding. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a matter of you had all the answers and I had all the questions, but it was, you know what, you know, let's just let's spend some time and, and explore this. And, but we need to re- listen to God, and we need to listen to his word, and that's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so why don't we, uh, do we agree that, that the source of, of um, truth, truth yeah. is in God's word? Again, the, the deliverance of, again, the truth of the gospel, but with such grace and, and, and com- compassion. Mm-hmm. And whether it was through, through you or through um, various ministries, um, biblical counseling was, was a, a really key part mm-hmm. of, of a non-judgmental walk through God's worth, mm-hmm. uh, word pointing out truth. But it was a journey that, um, that you were willing to, to walk with me. And mm-hmm. I knew that I had the foundation of, um, I know what church was, Mm. I knew um, what God was, what Jesus was, um, but I couldn't clearly say that, that I was a Christian or that I was saved. And do you agree then the worst thing that could have happened to you at this point was for you to be rejected by the people and leadership of the church? 100%. Um, a common, perhaps, difficulty that the church deals with is, is we have these gay people, what do we possibly do with them? And we know that this is sin, so do we reject them? And we have to remember, particularly with this sin or many sins that people uh, feel a lot of guilt, in my opinion. And you've mentioned rejected their whole lives. Rejected their, whole, their entire life. Mm-hmm. So if, if there was that, that one person, that Neil, who walked in for the first time and dared to share their story with somebody, would the response quickly be, um, it's a sin? And, and we, don't, we, we don't believe that you belong here. I promise you, they probably will never come back. Mm-hmm. And it's these same people that, uh, that are just so lost, mm-hmm. craving some sort of hope. Mm-hmm. And um, it is completely my prayer that 
through that combination of, of truth and grace that, that lives would be saved and that God would use this place as a place of transformation. Uh, that is my prayer. And praise God for what he's done because, again, you were, you were in a, a certain lifestyle for what, 18 years or more, 20 years, and that's totally changed since, since the Gospels entered into your life. Truly. The, yeah. And so um, I was uh, in a very loving relationship, a very committed relationship, no different than, than many other. And it was that, that summer of, of 2012 where the pieces came together and, and just felt an overwhelming love and peace uh, of God and, and believed that it's at that point that, that I was saved. And um, so today there's not, um, there's not a question about God's love or His, um, His saving power in, in, uh, in my life. Do you believe you've been set free now at this stage of your life? Is there an underlying desire? Um, I believe that, that that is there. But um, it, like all sin, there is, we're all battling sin mm -hmm. right. um, every day. Mm -hmm. um, but through the, the grace of God, we have the power to um, uh, to not act upon that sin. Mm -hmm. And um, and every person has to relate to what you just said in their own context, because that is every single person who has ever lived battles and struggles with different temptations in different ways. And you're right, it's the choice. Do I act upon it or do I seek to honor the Lord through His strength and grace in my life? You know what, And what I think is so important to recognize within your story is what you did bring to the table, Neil, you brought openness. And that's what I just pray within our day and all the cultural pressure and all the, the authority the culture is trying to claim upon every individual to say ultimately at the end of the day, our authority is the Word of God and it's the truth that sets us free and said, it has, it has set you free and me free, and, and here we are, you know, praising God for that too. On behalf of this church at Harvest Oakville, I want to speak for the people and that you are loved. Just really appreciate you and your vulnerability today doing this. It, uh, it means a lot. God's going to use it powerfully through a lot of people in this church in ways that some, some you'll find out about, a lot you'll never know. You'll never know. And so uh, I'm excited for our church to care for you even more and to uh, come alongside you and to pray for you and all of us in a place of need of truth and grace as well. And God's going to do it. Today, by God's unfailing mercy and grace, I stand as a life changed for His glory. I rejoice in the challenges of this earthly life to be a daily reminder of my insufficiency and my soul dependency on Him. I am nothing and He is everything. I proclaim Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, who has died and rose again because of his love for me. Amen. 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 So what's our response as a church? I'm just so thankful for um, what we're able to see right there. And I think we have... Um, five responses I want to just go through as we end uh, our service right now and who we're trying to be as people responding to the reality of our broken world. The first response is this, loved ones. We want to be a people of truth. And I think what that means is that we're people that are not ashamed of the gospel. I think we understand what we've been told today is that the grace way we love people is with truth. Uh, to not tell people the truth is to not love them. And so we want to be a people who love the gospel, who love Jesus Christ. Uh, number two, we want to be a people of grace. 
We want to be a people of grace. And our Savior himself was full of truth, and he was also full of grace. So what we're not trying to be is people of harsh rejection or people of quick judgment, because that would just make us as much a hypocrite as anyone who's ever lived. But rather, we want to know people and love them. My mom always said to me, the greatest way to love someone is to understand them. And so in this church, we seek to be a people of grace who seek to understand and to get to know and to welcome. And uh, we welcome sinners here in this church, amen? Amen? Otherwise, we're all out, right? And so we welcome, it doesn't matter kind of where they are, but I just if you're someone who has a willing heart, who's desire and is searching for truth, they are welcome to be in this place. You know what I love about people of grace in this church? I love how much you're going to love Neil, amen? You're going to love him as much as ever and anyone, amen? That's right. That's right. We are not to be homophobic in any measure at all. That's not what we desire to be, and that is not us, I pray. Remember this too, the most consistent accusation against our Savior was that he was a friend of sinners. And so us being sinners, we desire to be a friend of sinners like our Savior as well. So we're people of truth, we're people of grace, we're this, we're, we're people of compassion. It's so important that we show compassion because we're all broken. And so we don't show compassion. And again, we're discrediting ourselves in the very journey, the very things that we need the most. So we extend compassion in the name of Jesus Christ. This is our response at this time. The most powerful opportunity we can have is as we extend this compassion in the name of Jesus. In truth and grace, in compassion, number four, we are to be a people of hospitality. And this isn't just, uh, I decorate my house and it looks pretty, that makes me uh, hospitable. This is, I give of myself. I give of myself to engage with others. I want you to remember on this particular issue, sometimes the greatest struggle of a person who's struggling with same-sex attraction, the greatest hurt and need they have is loneliness. It's loneliness. And sometimes the reason they're so drawn into other situations and places they may not even want to be is because they can't find the community they desire and they're afraid of opening up and not being accepted where they are in their search for the Lord there. We ought to be people who are hospitable. And give of ourselves and go out of our way, whether it's our neighbors or our co-workers. You don't have to compromise to be a person of compassion, to be a per- person who's hospitable. And lastly, we're to be a people of love. And uh, this is an email address right here for anyone right now who needs to be loved. And this will be a highly confidential step that you can trust in. That if you're in a place and you need to tell your story and you need to get help where you are, then you can email grace at harvestoakville.ca. And I promise you this, you will be loved. You will be listened to. You will be loved with truth. You will be loved with grace. But I promise you, you will be loved. Two resources today which are incredibly helpful on this issue incredibly helpful they are in our bookstore we don't have a ton but you know how to get these Sam Elber I quoted him as God anti-gay and tremendous resource for this so many other things I couldn't get to within this one message addresses so much a small little tiny book it's like less than a hundred pages but so thorough and then Kevin DeYoung's book what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality again not very big maybe 140 pages super super helpful on these issues of how we seek to respond as men and women who fear the Lord 
and want to love our brothers and sisters. This is who we desire to be, loved ones. Truth and grace and compassion and hospitality and, and most of all, love. This is our Savior and this is to be us. You know, it's an important message today because it comes down to the gospel. It's all about the gospel. So maybe um, in light of the importance and seriousness of this moment, because there'll be so many people who don't understand, and yet we have to stand before God, and we have to honor Him with what He's entrusted us to do. The greatest weapon we have then, loved ones, is truth, and is this, is prayer. It's prayer. So I'm going to pray, okay? And you pray too. Don't leave me up here hanging all by myself, okay? You pray too. Hey, do you believe in prayer? Okay, let's pray as a church right now then. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and I pray, God, that your name will be so honored and revered. Oh, God, I pray. In this day of darkness, in this day, Lord, of just such rejection of you and suppression of truth, I pray, Lord, you will light a fire in the gospel for your glory. I beg you, Lord, as together as a church and the hundreds of people that are here right now, that, Lord, as the winds of change, I pray, will come in, they will blow in winds of renewal and restoration and revival, Lord, across this people, across this land, and at this time. Oh, God, I beg you, I beg you, oh, Lord, you'll be honored and glorified through our lives, and you'll give us the courage that is needed to speak truth and to be agents of grace and love. Oh, God, I ask even now within this place and at this time, you will move because, Lord, we have this one life to live, and we must do it in your strength and your grace. So God, help us. Amen, church? God, help us. God, help us and strengthen us. Give us the boldness and the love. Give us the grace and the compassion, Lord. Give us the hospitality, Lord. Give us you. Give us you. Give us you. And I believe you are honored today, Lord. I believe you're honored with this message. I believe you're honored with this worship. You're honored with this testimony. I believe you're honored, Lord, with this response. I believe it, Lord. It's what your word says. And so I pray, Lord, you will take that in our best efforts in your will and by your grace, and you will multiply it, Lord, hundredfold for your glory. Oh, Lord, would you do this? Oh, Lord, I pray in the midst of the pressure of our world, Oh, Lord, would it be that you would break forth with undeniable and incredible fruit that explodes, resulting in hundreds and thousands of lives changed for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, oh, God, why not now? All the people in the misery searching for their own idolatry, they will not find it. They will only be found in Jesus Christ. So I pray, oh God, that would be so. And I pray you use this church. Make us men and women who are serious, but make us men and women who are so filled with joy. Make us men and women who see our mission. Make us men and women, Lord, who are filled with such light and salt. Make us men and women, Lord, who do not care for the things of this world, but make us men and women who are passionately pursuing all of you and the chance that we have and the lives that we live. Oh God, right now, in Jesus' name, increase our urgency, our desperation, and our desire. Oh Lord, would you do that? Use your church. Use your church. This, is, this isn't a game. This isn't a game. And so we look to you. And we say how much we love you.
And I pray, Lord, whether it's William Tyndale, whether it's Neil Verber, God, or any one of us right now, that you'd be able to say to us at the end of our days, well done, good and faithful servant. For you've been faithful to what I asked you to do, regardless of what the world was doing around you. Yes, Lord, love, grace, truth. Again, you. Oh, we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen.